Welcome to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we talk about social justice and fiction, reality, and everything in between. My current guest is one of my idols in the podcast space and one of the strongest leftist voices in anime, which is a fairly small pool but growing. He does the Critical Weeb Theory podcast with his friend Raghava, and which he's had me on for, and he also does a lot of political and anime writing on Medium and videos on YouTube. Please welcome Mo Black. How are you doing, Mo? Uh, good. Apparently sufficiently buttered up. <laughs> yes. With that intro, thank you so much for having me. Sure, so I, I'm just going to, to set the tone for the discussion, quote something on an essay you wrote on electoralism in August of 2020 that was, Shortly around the time that I found your Medium blog and because I was desperately looking for good articles on anime. Okay, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. Trump and Biden are both reactionary. They're not bad and less bad, but two different ways of solving the same fundamental problem, that problem being the left. The Trump-Pence approach is to beat the left into submission using all manner of state repression, subversion of liberal so-called democracy, and bigoted rhetoric to grind any real left-wing movement into submission. The Biden-Paris approach is to pacify the left. The agenda is to separate moderates from hardline communists, anarchists, and leftists, a la peaceful protesters versus looters and rioters rhetoric. To please the moderates with feel-good stories about a hashtag girl boss PVP with pronouns in her bio, a president whose tweets won't keep you up at night, and a few concessions here and there that make upper crust let white liberals feel good on the inside, but offer nothing to say about home, food insecurity, Americans without shelter, the hundreds of thousands in jail, the people of the global south, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, since that appears to have been prophetic in how the Biden administration has gone so far. What does that have to do with anime? That's a good question. Um, I, I think it, I think it has to do a lot with like my relationship to how I bring uh, politics into uh, the anime that I talk about and into the essays that I write. Um, I may go off on a tangent. I hope that's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> but hopefully we will actually answer the question. Um, but recently I've been, uh, I've been thinking a lot, you know, I, I do uh, first and foremost, when I write about like any anime, I, I, I generally write about it because the thing made me think about something, right? Like yeah. I, I did uh, a whole isekai thing, uh, called uh, Bullshit No Yusha, where I just, I analyzed way too many isekai, and the reason why is because isekai made me think of stuff, um, and yes. that's why. For audiences who don't know, isekai is a very popular genre of anime that traditionally deals with a character being transported to a fantasy world, but most often it's just a bunch of genre cliches about, usually it's like a loser young man transported to a world that runs on fantasy RPG mechanics and of course there's all the medieval European fantasy tropes and characters. Right that's a good description um, and the other thing about me is that I'm thinking about politics all of the time. Uh, this is part like my own like neurosis like I I'm not going to pretend that that's 100% healthy and part because I, I am like an organizer um, around the time of the pandemic, I decided to get involved in uh, different groups, find people in my city who uh, sort of share my sort of politics. And I've been learning a lot from them as much what to do as what not to do. Right. Um, and both of those, like when I, uh, when I get these two like experiences, like either like watching an anime that makes you feel something or like, a political action that makes you feel something like they come together and they come back out into whatever thing that I want to write about. Um, and I, I've sort of realized, I think more recently that like a lot of the, the current like online left, like the current, uh, like you have like your bread tube types, you have your streamer types, you have your 
like influencer types. Um, a lot of the things that they do, I think, are not helpful to what I see, like when I organize. And they're also not the kind of content that I'm interested in making. Um, so I think this is like a, a long way of just saying that uh, we, are, I, we are all consuming media in an environment in which our like economic political, our economic and political systems are falling apart. And we're all consuming media uh, in the midst of like a massive pandemic and ecological collapse. Uh, and as such, uh, I think it's, I don't think every single person needs to write about both of those things at the same time, but it's not unnatural to take those things into account uh, when you are writing about things and when you're talking about things. Yeah. I suppose that's what I try to do. That makes sense. Cause like, the kind of bread tube movement that I suppose we're both adjacent to is still pretty new compared to a lot of what passes for discourse on the internet fandom, which is very, very reactionary. I was talking about this with my last guest, Dane Whitman of Forced Adversity, who's done a lot to push back against the comic skate types. Right. And one thing that you point out in a recent essay is that the the kind of way the reactionary Western fans look at anime is as a paradise to aspire to where there is less diversity because Japan is not as heterogeneous uh, a demographic as the United States. There's no reference to American politics explicitly. Right. There's more general freedom to do things like have fan service with women with giant bouncing boobs. And that ultimately, I mean, I haven't been to Japan, but I would wager that there is more to the entire country and its history than anime titties. I would also wager the same thing. I, I think this is, uh, I think you hit upon like one of the things that I, I implicitly try to make sure that I never do in any of my writing about anime. I make sure to, to not make it seem as though because I understand anime, I understand like Japan, right? To the point where a lot of times if I'm analyzing anime, I will like, uh, I, I think the, the best example I wrote about uh, the ReZero Frozen Bonds movie. Uh, it, I actually, I kind of, I, I have some problems with that essay. I don't think it's like my best work to be honest. Um, but what I did uh, in that piece is I basically related uh, the main character, main character's name is Amelia. Um, and basically throughout the entire movie, she's like persecuted because there's a prophecy of her being related to like an evil witch. Um, is she the witch? I don't know. I, it's, is complicated. It's not, not the point, not the point. <laughs> point is, uh, the, the whole story basically revolves around like that dynamic, right? And, uh, during that time, like, uh, the BLM protests were still like going on, uh, and so the angle that I took from it was kind of talking about how this, like, uh, what I found was like an individualist sort of approach to like analyzing persecution in a way that still somehow like didn't grant her uh, the kind of agency that I would like to see in the story. Um, uh, it was fairly reminiscent of how uh, reactionaries sort of see a bigotry in protests, uh, a bigotry uh, uh, that like the BLM protests were supposed to address like a sort of individualistic affair where people who deserve it, people who are, are good, don't deserve to be treated the way they are and not like addressing systemic issues uh, that come with like, you know, our systems of, uh, of carceral violence, of policing, of capitalism, of what have you, right? 
Um, and one of the biggest criticisms that I got from that essay is that uh, ReZero isn't trying to talk about BLM, so why'd you write this? Um, and I think it is, it is absolutely true that, that, the, that the intention uh, that the intention of the movie is not to say anything about like racial discrimination in the United States. It's obviously not the intention. Um, but rather, I kind of, uh, I don't want to treat anime as like something that exists in like a Japanese bubble, so to say, so to speak, that like only exists with like that that exists in like the sort of like fictionalized like apolitical Japan in which uh, things cannot be similar to other things, things cannot relate to other things, things cannot speak to to like larger overall trends that are common to both the United States and Japan and lots yeah. of other places. Well, you're definitely right, and I think a lot of the expectation from people who who make those complaints is that talking about anime should be like a product review where you're analyzing it on the characteristics that make the person feel like they've spent their time and money well or not and you have my anime list for that where Mm. but that's not what you're doing you're using it as a means to help better understand the larger world that the anime comes from yeah, I, uh, so something that uh, I think pro- probably not even a lot of my, a lot of my followers, know, but like, let alone yours, but uh, something that like when I do do like Twitter reviews of anime, uh, I refuse to rate things out of 10. Like I have my own uh, uh, rating system that I use to like talk about if I thought an anime was good or not. Um, and when I first wrote this down, it was like most things I write down, I had an idea and I couldn't stop. I was up in the middle of the night and I, and I wrote a bunch of things down. <laughs> and then I showed Ragway, I was like, look at the thing I wrote down. And they were like, uh, that's pretty interesting. And they, they gave their own comments and stuff. Um, but like the chief reason why I don't do that is to, is because of just how much I really dislike uh, I, I guess like the like, like you said like the mal way of looking at things where you take a show you say the story was a seven out of ten you say the characters were a five out of ten you say the art was a eight out of ten uh, and you say that the 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 direction like the editing was like a five out of ten and then you average those all and then you put up a score um, I, I I hesitate to say like the mal way because I know there's like uh, now that I've actually gotten to talk to like Rebel Panda and like all of his like friends, I know that there are like mal reviewers that are actually like good at reviewing things <laughs> and not just doing that. Oh yeah. Um, so it's for sure not like every mal user, but it's definitely like a thing that's that's. It, it's not like Panda's fault or anything. It's just like mal as a platform. You need to give a score. Well- Right. I've, re- I've read a lot of Panda's reviews mm-hmm. and he's he's definitely great at actually discussing things that matter about it. So it's yeah. not his fault that the platform has the kind of gamification that online criticism has devolved into with the likes of like cinema sins where they turn it into a exactly. game of how many little nitpicks they can point out. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like the the big, uh, the big reason why I personally just like stay away from numbers in general is because every, I think, anime, there, there's a couple of things about media that I think like anime fans or just like fandom people online in general, like don't actually recognize. So I, I, it, I was thinking about this a lot uh, when, when you told, after you told me that we were gonna be uh, talking about my most recent essay, which I think we'll get to in a little bit, um, I was thinking about like, it feels a lot of the time like anime fans view anime as like a director like sat down and then like use psychic powers to like manifest an anime into thin air out of like nothing, right? Like 
Hideaki Anno just like sat down and like used psychic powers and then like the entirety of Neon Genesis Evangelion came out, right? Just the way it was, right? Yeah. And then if you want to, um, and like every single anime is basically like that, just sort of like, in the, it's like, I guess, finding a rock in the forest or something. And then you pick up all these rocks and you look at them and then you say, you know, which one's the heavier rock, right? Which one's the shinier rock? And then this is like what people call like an objective review or something, right? Um, right. But in reality, an anime, it, like any sort of media, media, any sort of story, any sort of thing that was made, like there were external pressures that were applied to that media to, to like make it the way it was, right? Yeah. Like Ava, the original run of Ava, the reason why the episodes came out the way it was, was in part because of the, the broadcast station that it was run on and like what they expected from like a mecha show at the time, right? Um, yeah. There were a whole bunch of different employees who were paid a salary. Maybe the salary was good enough. Maybe it was, I actually don't know enough about like Ava's specific production process to accuse, uh, to accuse anyone of underpaying anything or blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm just saying like, were, how well were the people compensated? Like who, who were like the big, uh, what were like the big like clashing ideas behind the scenes that like made the show the way it is and then after that like of course uh, the production company that ordered the anime wants the anime to make money like what's doing well on the market currently like what what's what things needed to be added to make sure that the show did well financially right there's all these sorts of questions and then there's like cultural questions and like political questions that make it very very difficult to take two anime and to look at them and say this one is better than that one because it has like a flat better score. Yeah. I think you can certainly say that like a show is better than at uh, animating fight scenes than the other one. You can say a show is better at, uh, let's say uh, romance than the other one. You, you can definitely like compare things like within a specific axis but like the general idea that like all media is reduced to a ranking that can be put higher or lower um once you take all of those things into fact and the fact that most things don't even want to do the same thing like a rom-com doesn't want to do the same thing as a fantasy action adventure so i i i i think i think i've made the point like yeah um once you start like opening up uh what you think of what you think media criticism is to all these sorts of questions um you you first of all you understand the things that you like better yeah and if nothing else you understand what i'm trying to do better <laughs> and all the stuff that i saw with comicsgate promoting how manga is slaughtering american comics feels like oh my god apples are so much better than oranges exactly. you should kill all the oranges exactly and like even the uh i think i mentioned this in the last essay right like just like manga a lot of the times like for example the process for getting published in shonen jump is not even remotely comparable to the process of getting like to work on like the current like spider-man run like these yeah. things are so far apart from each other right if you want to work in shonen jump basically what you do is you get a job as uh as a lower level shonen jump employee and then you make friends and then you pitch your idea to an editor and then you get a shonen jump one shot and if people like the shonen jump one shot then maybe just maybe you get your own show and it runs for you don't know how many uh, you don't know how many chapters it's going to run, but it just runs until they pull the plug on you and they move on to someone else, right? Yeah. And and the fact that that's how Shonen Jump works, like affects the kinds of stories that get made in Shonen Jump, and and you can't like say, oh well, you know why why doesn't Marvel why doesn't Marvel make One Piece, like why doesn't Marvel make uh what are other shonen jump things like my hero you, you academia can, yeah, that like hero or like, mm, stuff like that it's like well because like marvel 
orders comics like they order like a comic run and they hire people and and it's like a whole it's like a whole other thing right so um and once you like put those uh like like social and economic pressures into your analysis i think you get a lot better understanding of like why stories are the way they are yeah and the main thing that i i wanted to talk to you about today mm -hmm. because you recently published an article that's also a fully narrated video where you talk about High Guardian Spice, which is where all these different cultural factors and reactionaries collided when right. Crunchyroll, the anime service, had the audacity to, and I say audacity with the biggest air quotes possible, publish a an American animation with L a predominantly LGBT cast and crew who've, uh, who address those themes very specifically in the story. So mm -hmm. like, what's the, how did you start getting, approaching that and what conclusions did you ultimately draw? TLDR, the show is really good and you should watch it. I do think the show is good. I do think you should watch it. Um. Okay, so this is a whole, this is very fun because when I write an essay, I need to, like the, the order of like the sections of the High Guardian Spice essay is like very specific um, because when I wrote it, I wanted it, I, what I didn't want to do is argue that, uh, okay, let's back up for a minute. First of all, um, the show, it did a lot of things for me personally in understanding like myself uh, and how I uh, like deal with other people and how I deal with situations. Um, and because of that, what I didn't wanna do is reduce High Guardian Spice to the controversy that bad actors like made around it, right? So I didn't want to write this essay about uh, how High Guardian Spice really understands my opinion like mental health and all these sorts of things, but then like front load all the bullshit that people made up about it as if like, that's the reason why I'm talking about it. Um, so that's how the, that's how the article ends. Uh, of course, there, there are downsides to that, mainly being that uh, people don't read to the end. <laughs> so then they start criticizing things for things that I say in the, in the end. And I'm like, well, and I can't tell them that I know they haven't read it. I just, I just have to correct them. Uh, so there's that. Um, how I, my first experience of High Guardian Spice was with the trailer and the backlash. Like I, like I say in the essay, it is the backlash to this show was massive. You could not, like, I was not even actively watching anime like that. Uh, and I knew basically the whole drama. I knew most of the channels that were involved uh, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, this was like around the time when I was like seriously, like I was like in the process of like rapidly radicalizing. Um, so I remember just kind of thinking it was sort of dumb that people were making a huge big deal out of this when we haven't even seen it. Um, but I remember also thinking that maybe because like I had never used Crunchyroll that maybe like Crunchyroll really was like a bad service or whatever. I mean, it, it is. It, it is. is. I had it, it, trouble it's... just getting it run long enough <laughs> to watch the whole 12 episode show. Um, and it was worse in 2018 when they hadn't even updated their Flash player. Christ. Um, but uh, and then I just sort of forgot about it. And then I kind of I, I remember uh, in like early 2021 I think it came up again like they released a second trailer for it and I was like oh yeah this show exists and I and I think I tweeted something like um it's funny how people complain that SJWs are trying to cancel anime when the only show in recent memory that has literally been canceled because of backlash is this instance of High Guardian Spice when right-wing backlash uh, made Crunchyroll postpone High Guardian Spice for two years without even updating 
uh, without even updating the creators or like saying like, hey, we're, we're keeping your project on hold until this date or that date. Like Crunchyroll literally took High Guardian Spice and they just like sat on it. They didn't tell the team why. They just like, they just sat on it. And then they released it. Yeah. Right. And of course, we found out shortly at, before you published the article about how rushed it actually was to the finish line and how a lot of the stuff with like the animation and the script was done under extreme time constraints. Right. I think uh, Ray Rodriguez, the creator, like he said something about like essentially writing a single draft for it per episode and then just animating that and then not having time to edit beyond like obviously like typos and things like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is to me is fucking like that shit insane. You can't write, <laughs> you can't write a story this way. I am, uh, I am. I am seriously impressed that any part of High Guardian Spice was coherent if one of the constraints was you have to use your first draft of every episode. Um, I, I feel like this is something that like people who don't write don't understand. Like, like you have, uh, you have uh, your Wirecats comic, right? Yes. Um, uh, I'm really enjoying that, by the way. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, and for me, like when I write, I need like drafts like like uh for my isekai essay like one of the recurring themes of that essay is that it needs several drafts to do and every time i do a new draft i basically die uh and reincarnate in the essay it's very it's it's overly complicated i know but um like and and even then because of like other constraints in my life because uh, i'm a full-time student because i have a job uh, because I just like can't focus in general. Um, there are still like mistakes and there are still things that like thinking back on it, I think only I could have done better here and there. Like uh, it's all the time that I write. Do you know how many times I've written an essay where I say, where I mention something and I say, we'll come back to that later. And then I never mention that thing again. And I have to go back and either mention it again somewhere else or just remove that thing where I said, oh, we'll come back to that later. It happens like all the time. I can right. relate to that since I, you mentioned you have ADD in mm. the essay. I too have that. And with me, it's th the process of doing a webcomic is entirely improv off of the outline I store in my head. And right. I kind of, I kind of like the freedom that gives me to come up with things I didn't think would I would come up with, but that's entirely due to my own personal preferences and way of doing things. And I wouldn't expect that or force that on anyone else. Yeah, I know for me, I know for a fact, I sort of accepted that like, if I plan something, like if I set like a rigid schedule or something like that, I know that I'm not going to follow it anyway. Um, and the only thing that's going to happen is that I'm going to get very stressed and upset that I'm not following the thing that I said that I'm going to follow. Um, so uh, instead, like, and this, and this is like a personal life thing too. I'm, I'm like staring at it right now. Um, so instead of doing deadlines, what I do is I have this wall and I have like a wall of sticky notes. And like every time I remember that I have to do something, I put up a sticky note and then because I'm staring at the sticky notes, I make it a game to see how many sticky notes I can remove at any given time. So like, I'm literally looking at the sticky note wall to my left. Uh-huh. So like I have my, my homework. I, I can actually remove that because I finished it. Good. And so like sometimes I'll be like, oh, don't forget to pay rent. And then it'll be up. And then I'll, I'll take, the, I'll take the, the rent sticker down when I do it. And like that works a lot better for me than like setting a deadline or like making a calendar. Um, but like, just like, just to like get back to like uh, High Guardian Spice, um, that all of that is just to say that like time and money are like necessary to like write complex, like coherent stories. Like in the, in the essay I mentioned, uh, I mentioned, 
uh, I mentioned that a lot of the story feels like it was written enough to, to work in that context, but there wasn't like a wider connection of like the show's overarching themes or stories. Um, and that is exactly what happens when every episode you write one draft and then you do not get to edit it because the studio says they need it by this date. That's exactly what happens. Because then at, at that point, you're just like, you're just writing down everything that you can remember. And then at the end, you look back and you're like, oh, I forgot this thing. Oh, I forgot that thing. Yeah, um, and it's what struck me that that is. So yeah, this the plot itself tends to very much rely on familiarity with the genre and like wizard schools to keep itself going but the character work was absolutely superb in the show yeah and like the main characters two girls rosemary and sage because they do the plant theme naming insert joke about how those are actually herbs and not spices <laughs> you and, have to thank raghava for that joke by the way because I, I was reading them. i was uh reading my draft to them and they were like these aren't spices, they're herbs. And I was like, I, I guess so. <laughs> That's where that came from. Yeah, but they like play, played off like Rosemary. She's very likely, if not explicitly written as ADD, then coded as such. She's very, very distractible, very much either hyper-focused on things or oblivious to them and will charge in headfirst without care of her own safety while Sage is incredibly reserved and anxious and stresses over every little thing to a frightening degree and a lot of the show is their friendship and how they've known each other for so long and now going to this wizarding school they're having to finally interact with different people and confront things about each other that they may not want to admit and the in a way that's painfully natural how a relationship between two very close people with very distinct neurotypes that rub up against them can go sour mm -hmm. and I, it, finish first. and that felt authentic in a way that is very subjective and thus an objective reviewer could easily dismiss it because keeping in mind that there are no objective reviewers. Right. It's the sort of thing that doesn't show up. Like if you were to do like the Mal kind of the Mal style, like average everything and uh, give like a number out of 10. Um, I'm not sure where that would fit in. Right. Because it's not like, the plot, right? The plot is uh, actually, it has to do with like these like business people who send assassins to kill the girls for finding out too much about uh, magical pollution or something like it, right? Um, it's not, it is, it is character, but it's not like character in, in, the, in the sense that like a lot of people would think about it. Um, it's not, uh, art it's not animation so you could do an entire and, and of course people have you can do an entire review of high guardian spice and just like completely miss that that's what's going on between these two characters um simply because I, I i think people who are uh neurotypical they just like they have a blind spot for this sort of stuff yeah and also if you're like watching it to find things wrong with it you will not pick up on oh there's like an actual friendship here that's like supported by this or that and all this sort of stuff and it's also it, i hate that it's impossible to discuss this show without at least referencing the so-called controversy but my joker origin story recently was when i read the tv tropes pages for it which of course if you don't know that site where they try to cat categorize literally everything about a show and come to conclusions that seem to treat creating art more like chemistry than art 
And they're like Tim playing, oh, it's such a cliche storm and pointing out all the different cliches. But then of course you get so much controversy over it, particularly like the fact that one of the big arcs is a character named Snapdragon who's identifies as female, but was assigned male at birth. And mm. her, her realizing that she doesn't want to be a boy and ultimately exploring like magical solutions that are the equivalent to hormone replacement therapy. And that was a really beautiful story. And it, it wasn't something that you see often in media at all, much less animation. And of course, it feels like the kind of double thing that you usually see in reactionary movements where the enemy is simultaneously too weak to consider a threat, but they are also a supreme threat to our very existence. Right. I, I think that's like, I was watching, uh, I hope you don't mind me name dropping one channel that I dislike. Oh, go ahead. Um, but I think it was the like the Scamboli Reviews video on High Guardian Spice or however you say his name. Um, no idea. That was super interesting to me um, because uh, his thing, like the way he ended his video was basically, it was like a half, it was like a disingenuous attempt to say that like at the end of the day, uh, the people who made High Guardian Spice just tried to make a show and fail. So it's not their fault, but he spends the rest of the show. I mean, he spends the rest of the video basically mocking them and mocking what they made and like, like freeze framing on like JPEG artifacts that you can see in the background if you squint really hard um, and shit like that. Um, and he mentions, uh, he mentions like a, there's like a Twitter thread from someone who works in the animation industry basically talking about how since High Guardian Spice, people who have tried to pitch like shows that have diversity to studios have been rejected more often uh, because studios do not want to have uh, High Guardian Spice part two PR nightmare at Bugaloo, right? Like, um, and he was talking about it like a victory, like they won, like, you know, we finally told these greedy Western studios not to make garbage like this, right? Um, and it, it really, I think it speaks to the, the kind of uh, reactionary double think that, that, you, uh, that you spoke of, where at the same, we need to do everything to make sure that like nobody tries to do High Guardian Spice again because it's so awful and such a, it has such a corrosive effect on the animation industry. It's such a this and such that. But also at the end of the day, these are just people who don't know what they're doing, right? Yeah. Like it's just a bad story that like, and there's no need to be bad. Like, nah, there was an agenda. It was destroy, destroy a show made by a trans man for views. Uh, and you did it, congrats. Like. Uh, yeah. That's what gets me the most about this because for all of the vitriol that these right-wing reactionaries in anime and comics fandom and video gaming have, what they're actually fighting for is the most absolutely basic nonsense you can imagine. Such like petty bullshit. I, I, I've had that exact same, that exact same thought. Uh, I, I, I think it was like when I was writing about like, Uzaki-chan? Or, or was it Nagatoro? I don't know. They all like blend. It was Uzaki-chan. Like, I did write just, about Uzaki-chan. Yeah, you did write about it. It's basically just a boilerplate anime rom-com with the only notable thing about it being the design of the female lead and that she's got breasts as big as her head. Pretty much. Um, and like the way people like preempted like a controversy about it, they're like, hey, I bet the SJWs are going to get so triggered. They're going to get so triggered because she has big boobs. They're going to get so triggered. I think there was one person, a single person on Twitter uh, who didn't like the design of Uzaki-chan. Like, this is someone who's not like super familiar with anime anyway, but they didn't like the design of Uzaki-chan because she's like short uh, and she's got very large eyes and uh, kind of like a small mouth and small hands, right? So she, she just like 
she just looks like a child, okay? She just, she looks like a child and she's got like the huge boobs, right? And so there was this one person on Twitter who, who said something about like, about it being like creepy looking or whatever. Um, and then the whole narrative became SJWs are triggered by Uzaki-chan. They think that short women with big boobs are inherently pedophilic or whatever. And we had that whole controversy. I was sitting there and I was like writing about it. I was like, who cares? <laughs> like, who cares? Like, why, why do all this for, for tits, man? You could just, you can find them anywhere. Like, I don't. <laughs> well, it's, it's about specific cultural control. Like, yes, they could just seek out porn if they wanted to masturbate to big tits, but that's, I, I'm sure they already do that. Nothing inherently wrong with that as long as everyone's consenting, but then, mm-hmm. but they're trying to make sure that all women have to look a certain way. And if they deviate from that, like with High Guardian Spice, where the art style's kind of like an 80s Western girl cartoon with some anime influences added where the characters aren't, sexualized they're like the closest it comes is the episode where they turn into mermaids and they have the transformation sequences but that's clearly more of a homage to like magical girl shows than intended wank material Mm -hmm. and it's so but since i want to close out on a more positive note because i did i came up with this podcast to try to have a more positive synthesis of all the bad shit in the world. Right. I am very grateful to you and Raghava for everything that's come up around critical weed theory, not just the podcast, the discord community and the space it's provided for people who get feel alienated by the kind of reactionary bigotry in anime fandom to just come together and hang out and voice their own personal concerns and watch anime with all these much bigger and I'd argue much more important factors in mind. And even though the podcast is currently on hiatus, right? It is, uh, we are working to change that, uh, but it is currently on hiatus. Yeah, and, but the community is still going very strong and it's somewhere I visit every day and I'm, grateful for. Thanks. That makes me so happy to hear. And I'm sure it will make uh, Raghava happy to hear that as well. I'll let them know too. So is there anything in the immediate future that we have to look forward to? I know you just finished a huge thing, so no pressure, but. In the immediate future? Uh, I guess the, the two closest things to look out for um, first, is uh, the revitalization, I guess the revival of critical leap theory. Um, it will, we're looking, we're, we don't have a date yet, but um, it's probably going to be the next most recent like official like Mo Black thing that like comes out. Um, we also have, uh, Raghva and I did an interview with uh, a great podcaster uh, named oh. Mark Edwards, uh, huh. where we talked, um, we talked about like anime and politics uh, and Sunny Boy, and that should be out either end of this month or very very early uh, next month. So like end of February, early March. I'm also working on. Well, I'm not like working on it yet. Uh, I do owe someone. I owe a patron uh, an overlord essay. Uh, and I've been nice. sitting on it because uh, I keep getting distracted. I keep doing other things, but I, I did promise them. So it will get done. So there's overlord at some point. Um, and I think I haven't worked out the details, but probably a rent-a-girlfriend thing. Probably. Because uh, that manga is, it's, it gets wilder by the chapter. And I'm having so much fun with it. Um, so I, I got to do something about it. I'm not sure what. 
Uh, so yeah, those are the those are the future term things for for your audience. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to them. And I'm glad you referenced Sunny Boy amidst the other shows you were referencing because I hear that's actually good. Whereas the other two fit into this kind of, I guess the term that we're now getting to describe a lot of anime is incel core. <laughs> right. Like, like I, I would say that it, the description is anime that feel like they were made for people who do not believe that they will ever feel the love of a woman. Like <laughs> it, it is made with like the, the, the impression in mind that the viewer is just gonna be single forever. And when you watch it, you like feel that. And it's really uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Rent a Girlfriend, a bunch of other shows in the nutshell. Um, I, I do wanna do more positive things. I, I, I've been thinking about it. Uh, but if I wanna do like a positive, like a, like a, like a show that's like good, then I have to like, it's gotta be like really good. Like I, I set the bar a little higher for myself uh, when it comes to like shows that I actually think are really good. Well, it's, it's important not to do like the kind of surface toxic positivity that say defines the current presidential administration. Right. Except for anime reviews, but, but it's also important to like keep people having some kind of hope. And when I look back, since I came across your essays in 2020, when Trump was still president, and while any hope I might have naively assumed for Biden hasn't worked out, there's a, there's a vast increase in like strike activity and pushes, pushing back against the abusive conditions. But one thing I was wondering is that since Japan is part of the same global socioeconomic system as America, there is still the same exploitation of workers, especially in the animation industry, especially to the point where I have the word Kiroshi to describe literally dying from overwork. Right. And do you know like anything about how that that's being pushed back against over there? Um, I... I will admit that I, uh, if I knew I was going to be asked this question, I would have prepared a little bit oh, more. Oh, I'm sorry. It. It's okay. Um, but I will say, uh, I will say, uh, there is a project called the uh, the Animator Dormitory, which gets uh, it gets uh, passed around a lot, where uh, essentially. Uh, anyone can donate to this project and then the project works to house like junior animators in the animation industry and actually like gives them wages that are worth um that are like livable um, yeah because like a, a lot of times like if you're doing like in between animation uh the number of frames that you have to draw in order to make a living wage in tokyo is astronomically high right yeah. uh and so it, it is i think if you wanted to do like an honest like marxist critique of the project you would probably have some things to say but it is like one of the most uh wildly known and widely successful projects for ashley oh. like uh at least for the few people that it can reach like making the industry a little bit better. It's definitely a great thing. And it, I'm very happy that people are doing such a thing, but it's ultimately just trying to ease the pressure on a system that's inherently broken. And one thing that seems that I'm guessing is a problem is like in America, when we have the nobody wants to work anymore refrains, they're usually talking about jobs that are not only very low wage, but also inherently dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. But animation has the advantage of being something a lot of people want to do, that they've worked their whole lives to want to do, and that passion gets used against them. Right. It's similar with video game development, though I think after the re revelations of big companies like Activision and Ubisoft being full of sexual predators to 
the upper management, there were there's more of a general acknowledgement that enough is enough. The the thing that's needed both here and in Japan are, of course, uh, unions. Um, yeah, there are specific reasons why in Japan. Uh, the kinds of unions that would actually make a difference do not exist. It mainly has to do with Japan's history of not having industrial unions at all. Um, and there are reasons, of course, why in the U.S. animators do not have unions because uh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> oh, my God, that guy. But, but there are, there are I, because I do, I, I agree with you that we need to end on a positive note. There are people who are working on it. There are people who recognize the issue. And at least given, given the fact that like everything that I do online is a lot more successful than I ever imagined, uh, I ever imagined it would be, there are, there are people here who also care about those things. Um, and we can like slowly, like we can raise awareness, we can like, uh, maybe not in animation, but like we can definitely organize in our own communities, we can join our own unions, uh, we can like try and like, steer this massive machine that we call an economic system uh, towards its own destruction and we can we can make something at least marginally better. I think its destruction is all but ensured at this point. The goal now is for the rest of us to come together so we can outlive it. Mm -hmm. And that's also ties into anime because if we, we see fiction as kind of a lens through which we see what we would want out of the world. We can do better than animes where the, we have an incel protagonist transported to a fancy world where all their gaming skills make them super powered and all the women, while not actually it, touching them physically, are into them and just can't bring themselves to admit it because they're so tsundere. We don't have to do that. We can have something like the anime Akudama Drive the cyberpunk anime that literally ends with a giant police tower being destroyed. That was so awesome. Definitely watch Akudama Drive. Yes. Watch High Guardian Spice and then watch Akudama Drive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Mo. It has Absolutely. been a pleasure. Same here.